Skinwalkers are the monster de jour in the world of TikTok and YouTube. But no one seems to know the real story behind these monstrous creatures. In this special episode, we explore the origins of these wicked beings, the powers they possess, and what their apparent intentions are. Just be prepared for a little bit of nightmare fuel. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Killing, Missing, Hidden Plus. Your favorite host, your old buddy Brad. Welcome to another bonus episode supported and funded by you lovely people. And in return, I try to find some weird tales to entertain you with a couple times a month. Today we are discussing skinwalkers and the lore behind them. Why? Because it seems like every weird thing that's photographed in today's world gets classified as a skinwalker. We even have television programs about them, most popular being that Skinwalker Ranch show. But no one wants to tell the story of what these creatures are. Surprisingly enough, skinwalkers have a deep history that just seems to get tossed aside. It ain't a pretty history, of course, but it's, it is interesting. So that's our topic for today. Enjoy! The Skinwalker, or as they're known in native tongue, the Yi Naudoshii, is actually an ancient Navajo warrior. Now, legend has it, Skinwalkers were created by the Navajo gods when the Spanish had conquered much of Mexico and were threatening to wipe out all the native tribes throughout northern Mexico and the southwestern United States. The Spanish were kind of keen on taking members of native tribes and forcing them to work without pay, aka slavery, um, in the silver mines throughout the area. And often these workers were worked completely to death. The Navajo tribe became the next target for the Spaniards as they pushed north, like I said, through Mexico into the southwestern United States, and there was no way the Navajo could get around what was coming. According to legend, the Navajo gods saw that they couldn't give their people the weapons to hurt the Spanish or defenses to keep their subjects safe, so they did what they considered to be the next best thing, and that was creating skinwalkers. So, why skinwalkers? Aren't these just like horrible monsters that torment humanity? Well, no. No, not originally. That's not what they were created for. These were special warriors that were selected by the Navajo gods to receive some special gifts, most noticeably of which was shape-shifting. And these warriors became the ultimate scouts for their tribe. They could turn into a condor or a hawk, and fly over the nearby lands looking for enemy troop movements. They could land near a camp and transform into a lizard or a coyote, trying to sneak close to the officers or the commanders to learn which way they planned to move next. Once they were back with their tribe, they could then relay this information about troop movements so the entire tribe could move to a safer location. One of the gifts the Skinwalkers were also blessed with was the ability to understand 
all languages. So the fact that these Spaniards were speaking a completely different tongue than the Navajo were familiar with was not an obstacle. And so the result ended up being the Spaniards would learn where a Navajo encampment was, gather their men, go attack it, only to learn they had just moved on. And this was frustrating to no end for the Spaniards, such that eventually they kind of gave up on trying to wipe out the Navajo. And once the Spanish threat was, you know, contained or at least diminished, when, when it was viewed as something that the Navajo people could handle now with their new skinwalker warriors, the Navajo gods left. Apparently, they had important business in the, elsewhere in the universe to attend to. And they decided, you know, we'll leave the skinwalker power with the Navajo people here on Earth. So, the Navajo people gained this very, very valuable bit of information. Not only, it actually gave them two new sorts of troop that could be created. The, the skinwalkers, of course who are kind of at the top of the food chain, and also the Adashgash, who are Navajo healers that are unusually adept. They almost are considered to have magical powers. In fact, some, some sources kind of credit them as being like entry-level Navajo witches or warlocks or what have you. Now, there is a tier between Skinwalkers and the Adishgash, or Adishgash, um, but we don't have a name for them, or at least there wasn't one that I could find. These are kind of a blend between the two. They're the exceptional healers of Navajo culture, the ultimate sort of witch doctors, and they've also gained the ability to shapeshift, but they still have the intentions of healing their people, protecting their people, and whatnot. And their, their shape-shifting abilities are somewhat limited compared to the Skinwalkers. I mean, frankly, the Skinwalkers are at so far on top of the, this chain that they have abilities most humans couldn't dream of. But to reach that level, one has to make a great great sacrifice. Now, the first, these first two levels, the Adish Gash and the silver, silver Tier that we don't have a name for, anyone could become those. They just have to study and learn from the wise men of the culture. But if you want to become a Yinao Doshiai, or Skinwalker, you had to spill blood. And... Not just any blood. You had to sacrifice a blood relative, preferably a sibling or parent. And this couldn't be one of those, well, I'm going to steal all their medication type of death. It needs to be something that you would see in a horror movie. You know, cold-blooded murder type deal. It has to be very personal. I found one account that indicated this fella had to kill a loved one with his bare hands and bury the body and the head in separate locations. So pretty gruesome, right? 
you know, not, not something most of us would be willing to do. And, you know, it doesn't, I didn't see this explicitly stated anywhere, but I would assume that one of the implicit rules is not only do you have to commit the murder, but you have to get away with it. Now there's this, the entire process of becoming a skill walker, skinwalker is highly secretive, but there's more to it than just this one murder. Obviously there's, there's a fair amount of training that goes along with it. It's highly guarded, very confidential type of training. And from my research, I get the impression that one doesn't have to do the healing stuff first. Like you can jump straight to the top of the chain if you wanted to, or if you're invited to. Um, you know, here's what little I could find about the initiation process. Well, let's 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 combine that with what skinwalkers are today. So the Navajo gods allegedly left their people with this power to protect the tribe. But once the threat of the Spaniards disappeared and the Navajo kind of went back into living, you know, normal lives for them, the skinwalkers kind of became corrupted with their power. You know, they were more powerful than the elders or the witch doctors could control. And so they set out to kind of do their own thing. They let greed get the best of them. And so because they kind of instantly became notorious and kind of hated in the tribe because of what they turned into, everything about them became a secret, both because the skinwalkers wanted it that way and because the elders and the tribal leaders did not want anybody following this path. You know, it, it and it, that's, it's understandable to me why this would happen. You, you know, you, you've got, it's, it's why I've always thought comic book movies are a little bit silly. Like, you know, Superman can punch the earth in half if he wants to. Why, why are we trying to create threats for him? If he wanted to take over the whole planet, he could. And it's just his moral character that keeps him from doing that. Well, how many... You see how the world is. I mean, people are lovers of themselves and of money and of power and all that. So if we just randomly start handing out superpowers, I don't know that we're going to have a, a Avengers Assemble type moment. It's, it's probably going to be something a little yuckier than that. And so... You kind of understand why skinwalkers have taken the turn they've taken. So much power, they can't really be checked in a meaningful way. And, you know, if you turn into a wolf and commit murder and then run into the woods, how are you ever going to get caught? You know, word on the street is they can transform into any beast, except for two. And I don't know why these two are limited. I'm sure there's a very important reason, but finding information on this stuff was, was challenging. Um, those two animals they cannot transform into are a cow or a sheep. So, these people are considered witches of the darkest form with hearts of pure evil, 
but they're not prevented like any special protections from death. They can be killed. You or I could kill them with the right armaments. You know, they can move at tremendous speed, have tremendous agility, tremendous strength and all that, but a bullet to the head still puts them to the ground. However, apparently part of the Skinwalker gift slash curse is their bodies are not allowed to remain on Earth. And so allegedly what happens when you kill a Skinwalker is they quickly kind of deteriorate into a reddish dust. A good defense that a lot of Navajo people have taken up are dogs. Dogs can sniff them out. Dogs don't like them. Dogs go crazy. Now, they won't engage with these monsters, but they can alert you when they're around. So, you know, this powers they have coupled with their wicked nature... They're, they're kind of a terrifying figure in Navajo culture. The, the people respect them as if they were gods, yet fear them as if they were demons. And, you know, it's, it's quite common. You do not even speak of these creatures in Navajo culture. There's, there's a belief that just speaking their name aloud will attract them to you. So I hope to God there's none near me, and I'm just setting myself up for failure here. There are some scholars and journalists and other interested persons who have persuaded some Navajo elders or tribal leaders to share what they know about skinwalkers. But because they're against speaking of them, these conversations are usually had in a very unusual, almost spycraft sort of way where you will go and typically meet this this wise man at his house, and he will start telling you a story about something not at all related to what you're there for. But meanwhile, he will scribble on a sheet of paper information about the skinwalker. He'll then hand you that sheet of paper, and you've got to commit it to memory. You're not allowed to really take any notes or anything like that, you've got to memorize it. And then once he's satisfied you've had enough time to look it over, it gets tossed into a fire that's burning right there. And like I said earlier, just as the Navajo are hesitant to share their knowledge of the Skinwalkers, Skinwalkers themselves are doing what they can to keep their existence secret. When an outsider comes into Navajo land and they are seen speaking with tribal leaders or elders or other wise men and women among the tribe, people take notice. This is considered unusual. And word spreads quickly, which means skinwalkers learn about it. If they suspect there are outsiders attempting to learn about skinwalkers, they will take whatever steps they deem necessary to silent the outsider. Now, they don't want to murder an outsider unless they have to because they feel like that attracts too much attention. But, for example, in one report I read, a couple researching skinwalkers spent several days in an unnamed Navajo town. At the end of their stay, a huge fire erupted in one of the main buildings at the center of town. 
While all available manpower was focused on controlling the flames and putting out the fire, the couple watched in amazement, as most of us would do when something like this happens, then returned to their rental car only to find they had been broken into. All their electronic devices had been stolen. All of their notebooks had been stolen. All of their tape recorders had been stolen. And they believed this was an attempt to silence them, to make sure they walked out of there with no information about skinwalkers. And despite what I said earlier, there allegedly have been cases where journalists or scholars have met unusual demises after trying to learn more about skinwalkers. Now, one thing that seems to be common is if you're an outsider and you do attempt to research skinwalkers, if any elder or wise man speaks with you, the first thing they're going to tell you is watch the animals. Because if the skinwalkers get wind that you're around, they're going to shapeshift into these animals to try to spy on you to see what you're really up to. And so they say if you see a bird or a dog or a cat or a squirrel or some other animal that's around, and that animal is paying an unusual amount of attention to you, you are instructed to assume that it's a skinwalker and it's attempting to gather information about why you were there. Typically, those wise men of the tribe that agreed to meet with outsiders have a cover story ready to go. And so they are typically more adept at watching out for these figures than, you know, white men or women or non-Navajo men and women that come into the lands would be. And so it's apparently not uncommon for, you, you know, a, a wise man to be speaking about it if they're not doing the burning paper method and instantly change their story into one about, you know, their granddaddy fighting in the war or serving as a code breaker in World War II or something like that. They always have some sort of cover story ready to go. Now, so widespread is the fear of skinwalkers that it spills over into all aspects of Navajo life, and this includes even working with the U.S. government. Though you can go through the contracts and you won't see any of this language written into it, there's apparently an understanding that when you deal with the Navajo Nation in any capacity, and you're conducting some sort of operation on or near their land, and you're willing to hire Navajo workers, you are not allowed to hire a skinwalker. And if any Navajo comes to a supervisor or whatever and identifies someone as a skinwalker, they have to be fired from that governmental operation, and they are turned over to Navajo elders to be dealt with. One report I read indicated the elders directed that this evil witch be tortured for three nights and days before finally being killed. And, you know, since there was no body to be found because it would turn into that reddish dust, 
They weren't concerned about law enforcement becoming involved, especially on tribal land. Because of the hatred surrounding skinwalkers, many of who have chosen to follow this path have to make a living in criminal ways. You know, they're, they're not going to get hired on these federal projects. They're not going to get hired in any Navajo-run business. And frankly, you know, it's going to be tough for a lot of Navajo folks to get a job outside the reservation because there's still a fair amount of prejudice that exists. So skinwalkers, since they traditionally have the traits of seeking power or greed, don't want to, you know, take on a construction job or something like that. So they will sometimes group together, forming kind of a loose gang to engage in criminal enterprises. For example, one story I read involved a group of about five or six skinwalkers who would buy salvaged cars from the east coast of the United States, cars that had effectively been totaled due to flood damage or something like that. And they couldn't obtain a clean title. They could only get a salvage title. Well, they would buy these cars on the East Coast, drive them back to Navajo territory. You know, basically, new paint job, new interior, and then create a new counterfeit VIN or vehicle identification number so that they could obtain a clean title to the car. Another story was of a group of skinwalkers who would change they would work together in pairs where one would change into a service dog and the other would pretend to be a blind man. And they would do things like go into casinos. Their service dog would escape the blind man's grasp and steal like, uh, you know, a woman's purse or, uh, you know, some men in casinos will carry a pocketbook just to put their chips in. So the service dog steals it, runs away. Of course, nobody really, I mean, of course, security chases after him and all that. Nobody blames the blind man for this happening. And in the commotion, normally he sneaks away. But once the dog's loose on the streets, how are you going to track it down? And so they'll use that ploy to steal from people. Some will act alone will turn into dogs and try to pull on the heartstrings of wealthy families in the area so they get adopted. And they'll spend a week or two with the family, and then once the they know the family's going to be gone for an overnight trip or a decently lengthy amount of time, then they'll revert back to human form, go through, steal all the valuables, um and escape as a dog. So the family comes home, they think they've been robbed because the door was left open, their dog escaped. Nobody's looking for the dog as the, the criminal. Now because, like I said, skinwalkers are witches, they are also believed to possess more tools at their disposal than just the shape-shifting we hear about. Navajo children are warned to never brush their hair at night as skinwalkers use human hair in some of their rituals and curses. 
Many believe that skinwalkers have an unusual hatred for those who steal from Navajo graves. And when I see a steal, I don't mean digging up the bodies or being a grave robber or anything like that. There's stories of people taking coins that have been left on a grave or even breaking off a rock from part of a tombstone. And allegedly this infuriates them and they will curse the person. So basically, allegedly, your life gets put into this magical vice where you're slowly squeezed and you suffer from worse and worse pains, worse and worse illnesses until either you return the stolen item or you perish from the curse. People who have claimed to see a true skinwalker insist that newer members of the discipline are not as experienced in shape-shifting and often appear slightly off when in animal form. So, for example, you may see a blue jay that has eyes that are noticeably too large. Or a fox may have uh, paws that aren't covered in fur, or un or you know they're unusually large. Things like that. Ravens are often considered a favorite avian shape for skinwalkers because the black feathers and the black features hide a lot of the errors that can be made in the shape shifting process. In human form, when they're living outside of civilization, they're generally described as wearing a pelt of some sort and having a malicious aura to them. If pursued or threatened, they will often change into a large bird or coyote or some other animal that will allow them to make a quick getaway. There are reports that when they have to make this getaway, if you go to the spot where they initially changed, you will find some evidence that they were human. Most often, something like a robe, sometimes a watch, but an unusual trinket like that. Now, within a civilization, there are no known telltale signs that a person is a skinwalker. Now, skinwalkers are always men, so you don't have to worry about the females of the population. But beyond that, it's anybody's guess. It's, it's more or less picking up the reputation from the community. Um, and understand that Skinwalker's shape-shifting ability is much more robust than we see in these YouTube videos. I mean, there's, there's reports where they take on multiple animal attributes. There was one I read where the skinwalker had the fur of a black bear, the sharp talons of, say, an eagle or some other, you know, bird of prey, and legs of a spider, which is just horrific to me. God, I hate spiders. Um... These horrific elders are also skilled enough to change from one animal form to another in virtually milliseconds if required. A newbie can't do this, but somebody that's been around the block can make this happen. They can also channel their animal skills into their human body form at times. 
So if you've ever read or watched anything about skinwalkers, it's not uncommon to hear these stories about somebody driving down a road through Navajo country late at night and looking over and seeing a coyote keeping pace with them. And so they'll speed up and the coyote will stay right there at their passenger door. And before they know it, they're doing 70, 80, 90 miles per hour and the coyotes just sticking with them, not breaking a sweat. Typically in these reports, something happens that causes the coyote slash skinwalker to have to give up pursuit. And in that situation, it's not uncommon to see them revert back to human form, but keep the same speed. Okay, I alluded to this point earlier, and now we're really going to get into what little information I could gather from scattered rumors about skinwalker ceremonies. Now, according to one report, skinwalkers don't really have a way of telling who's in their affiliation and who's not. So, you know, if you have the look of a Navajo and you're a male, you can probably just walk right into any of these ceremonies and you won't be questioned. Now... These ceremonies are guarded by men who pursue the outside boundaries with shotguns and other weapons. So if you're a big, ugly white boy like me, you probably get shot. But again, if you're of Navajo descent, these guys are most likely drunk anyway because they enjoy the spirits, I guess you could say. Um the alcoholic version of the spirits and they get drunk. They try to have a good time and all that because they're gathering. This is kind of their fraternity, you know? And so they don't pay real close attention when outsiders wander in, which I guess is a weakness. And that's how some of these rumors and secrets get out to the public. So the men at the ceremonies, typically have somebody that's in charge. Um, and the ceremonies are carried out in a style that, I guess like a 1960s television executive in the United States might design. Um, you know, there's a bonfire, there's tribal dancing and chanting and whatnot. And typically whoever's kind of serving as the MC is, is the person highlighting this this dance and chant and he'll be given a special robe to wear i've seen it reported that it's often made of various animal skins that have been sewn together there's also a special headpiece they put on i haven't heard any descriptions about that but during this chanting and dancing re allegedly at one point the mc will throw some dust into the fire and it will, you know, spark up, make a big flash. And when the smoke clears where this man had been, there will be a huge creature of some sort. The one report I read said this, you know, Navajo fella who was all of five, 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 six, suddenly turned into a seven foot tall feathered praying mantis creature with a wolf like face. 
who was wearing the robe, wearing the headpiece, and continued to dance and chant in the same voice. This went on for a little bit longer before more dust was thrown in the fire, and when the flash bang went off, all of a sudden, the little Navajo guy was back. There's also a report I found purportedly written by an actual skinwalker. In an effort to explain how and why he chose to become such a hated figure. So the way he describes it, and I found this very interesting, was he was approached by a man and invited to lunch at a local country club. And, it, you know, this is how I am at, you know, this is how you get invited to join like the Rotary Club or some business building association, Right. So there's, of course, not a ton of details in this report because there's so much is kept secret. But basically, he's invited to this lunch. He's invited to become a skinwalker. And, of course, this meant he had to kill a family member. Well, there was a blood relative, he didn't say who or whatnot, that had a history of abusing his wife and his children. And so he was like, Kill him and I get all these powers? Cool. So he did. Apparently, he said he ended up throwing the body down uh, an abandoned well in the desert, and the head was left in an old abandoned outhouse, also in the desert. Once he had done that, that was his demonstration of loyalty, and he became known as a first stepper within the group. These are the pledges, I guess, if we're still using the fraternity analogy, the lowest mate ranking members. But rather than being hazed or anything like that, they are assigned a mentor who's going to show them the ropes, teach them how to do various things, you know, how to perfect their shape-shifting, and overall make sure that they understand the consequences of being a skinwalker, and the responsibilities that go with it. So he said the, the group of skinwalkers he was invited to join had pulled their money together to buy a huge ranch so they could meet in secret, perform ceremonies in secret, and not have to worry about people just wandering on them, which is pretty smart. And when you become a first-stepper, he said, you have to live at the ranch until you kind of get your shape-shifting legs, I guess. There's lots of rules for skinwalkers. He wouldn't disclose those because, you know, to do so would be to invite death. But he said generically they spend a lot of time at initially living at that ranch, learning how to shape-shift. Uh, you know, their first, the first creature they were taught to change into was a raven. And this accomplished the purpose of, A, that's the most common animal they turn into, so they need to be good at it. B, it's the animal with the most room for error because of the dark features. C, it's also their first experience in learning how to fly. And so they spend several days just doing this until they get it down. Then they're taught how to turn into a coyote, and then, you know, what have you from there. Once they've kind of mastered changing into animal forms, 
as much as you can in this, you know, sleepaway camp retreat. Um, you are typically taken out of the camp to perform little jobs just so you can show off your skills in the real world while still under the guidance and protection of a mentor. Now, one thing this dude said is when you change into an animal, you know, if you change into a coyote, you keep your human consciousness, but you have the instincts of the animal. So when you're in the animal form, you typically allow the animal, you know, to fly or to run as it typically would, and you don't interfere until you reach the goal that you're trying to reach. And at that point, you take over and basically decide how are things going to go down. But all the time, you have the enhanced awareness and reflexes and all that of the animal that whose shape you're in. So when they go out into the world, this, this particular skinwalker, his first job was one of the casino heists I told you about. And he got to watch a pair of skinwalkers work together. He was kind of the third wheel. So you have the service dog and the blind man, and the service dog steals a man purse. The blind man grasps on to the, the first stepper that was writing the story, and together they exit through the front of the building while security's chasing down the dog. The dog shows up, you know, a few hours later at their hotel room with over $27,000 in cash. Now, he admits in his writing that this sort of activity is frowned upon by skinwalkers. They don't like to do anything that would risk humanity seeing, the, or the rest of humanity. Do they still have humanity? I don't know. Arguably not. That would allow humanity to see them change and confirm what now is just believed to be a legend. So what you're expected to do when you commit crimes as a skinwalker is not so much this brazen a robbery. You know, you do the, the house dog thing. Or, you know, if, you're, if you've already got a job and you're already in business, say you're a salesman, as this particular man was. And he says, what a great tool it is to be able to make a presentation to a new client and then leave the room for them to discuss it, but be able to change into a mouse or a lizard and sneak back into the room and hide in the corner and listen to all their, all their concerns all the hidden information they don't want him to know. And so with that, you know, he's able to go back in, change his proposal to meet the client's needs almost psychically. And that's how he really um, uses his powers, he claims. And he ended the letter by saying his real purpose in this is he's tired of skinwalkers being described as dirty, smelly men who are only out for blood. He said most of the skinwalkers he knew, and he included himself in this group, were doing this so they could enjoy living life on their own terms. 
And that's what I learned about skinwalkers. That that letter we cover at the end, allegedly written by a skinwalker in defense of all skinwalkers, was pretty interesting to me, assuming it can be trusted. And I find it kind of believable to the extent that you're willing to believe in this phenomenon. I buy the letter. You know, if you were suddenly gifted with these types of powers, would you want to become a serial killer? You know, not many of us would want to go live off the land. There are certainly some that who would like to, and apparently do, but we don't want to, most of us don't want to live off the land and hunt, you know, hunt down our dinners every night and worry about hunters coming after us. Um, you know, we probably would use those powers to try to better our family life. If you can know what your opponents are bidding on a job, or if you can know how far you can push somebody who's willing to buy a car, that really makes your life easier when you're trying to provide for your family. So I get the temptation there. Now, as you know, with all my episodes, I'm extremely limited in the amount of original research I can do. In fact, I do virtually none. Um, I rely on internet and the books. So, you know, I, I can't, I haven't been out and spoken with any, anybody who's a member of the Navajo tribe. Every single ounce of this could be totally fake. I could have just spent a half hour telling you a fairy tale for all I know. But again, this is something that's popular right now. This is something that whenever we see a strange video, somebody always opines that it's a skinwalker, right? And so that's why I wanted to do this episode. Um, but And, you know, even if this is nothing but a story built on a foundation of lies, to me, the folklore aspect is just interesting to me. Cultural beliefs outside of the, you know, Anglo-Saxon world are interesting to me because I don't, I don't know much about it. I, you know, I grew up learning white history in a very white state. And so I, I enjoy learning about other cultures, particularly kind of the oddities of other cultures, like, you know, skinwalker lore. <laughs> um, so I, I feel pretty confident that these are legitimate beliefs of the Navajo people. And so at least it was rewarding to me in that regard, learning their tales about their version of a boogeyman. If these creatures are real, they're horrifying. I mean, a giant feathered praying mantis with a wolf head. I mean, even, even my worst childhood nightmares couldn't come up with that. Or, the, or that bare eagle spider creature. I mean, my God, just kill me now. I can't live in a world where that's possible. And my opinion as to all of this is simple. I don't know. I'm going to work under the assumption that these are stories that are largely true just for the purpose of giving my opinion right now, okay? You know, the accusation that these things are smelly scavengers, that doesn't sit right with me. Again, I have no doubt... Some of them like being hermits. They like living off the land. But by and large, it seems weird. It seems weird to me to bless 
these warriors with such power and then also curse them with a horrible stench. They wouldn't be able to do their job as scouts unless this horrible stench has developed because of the evil in their heart or something like that. It's really hard to be sneaky when you smell like a... Or it's hard to be sneaky when you smell like a rotting corpse, right? We're, we're going to notice that. If somebody tries to sneak up on me and I smell that bad, I'm going to notice that something's up. I would expect these things to be more sophisticated than the typical Skinwalker stories. I mean, because again, what do we hear? They're like these near feral beasts wearing various pelts, uh, walking alone through the desert. If you're, again, I just, human nature to me, if you're giving this power, why would you use it purely for evil, just to be evil? I get the greed, I get wanting power, I get the lust aspect, sure. All the seven deadly sin stuff, I get. I don't understand being evil for the sake of being evil. You know, I would expect this to be more of a mafia-style life. You can get protection money, maybe. You can blackmail folks by learning information about them they don't want shared. You know, you've kind of become the ultimate spy for the southwestern United States and northern part of Mexico. And I could see being able to leverage that into a very good living. Um, you know, now, maybe the alcoholism that's so prevalent in Native American cultures corrupts skinwalkers even worse. That's all I can think of. But that that seems like such a not fun way to live life that these hermit-style skinwalkers have to be the exception rather than rural. Again, assuming we, that we accept that they exist. Um, that's as far as I can go with this one. You know, I, I, put, I put a good bit of work into this, honestly. I, I think I've been working on this, this episode since January or February of this year. And it's just hard to find anything, which is a shame, but it also kind of adds to mis the mystique of the story. I don't know why we in the, you know, first world society, because it's, it's, you know, I see it from American videos, Australian videos, uh, European videos and all that that every weird thing out there that can't be explained is just written off as a skinwalker. So, like I said, I, I, I wanted to address that head on to the best I can with all the uncertainty surrounding these tales. Um, you know, again, I, I spent some time working on this. I didn't pack in everything that I learned. I tried to be selective into what seemed most believable within the framework of the legends. There, there are stories that are darker and I don't want to share those. I mean, just in the off chance this is real, I don't, I don't want to send anybody down that path, you know? Um, so, you know, 
enjoy these stories for what they are as stories. We can't can't prove them. This is just what legends say, and that's as far as we're going to take them. So, anyway, thank y'all as always for supporting us. You guys really your your support makes this show so much easier to run that I appreciate it. And you know, I apologize that this second KMH Plus episode is coming at the end of the month. Uh, I wanted to do it earlier, but you know, life gets in the way, and I, I'm I had to make a make a bit of an effort to get this one out. So I hope y'all enjoy it. I appreciate it. As always, if there's any stories y'all want to hear, be it true crime, missing persons, or crazy mythological alien spooky stuff. Just hit me up. Uh, I'll do what I can to make y'all happy. So until next time, y'all just keep living life, you know? If you're a skinwalker, keep keep just making money and not killing anyone. Um, just be rock stars in general. There's no reason why you can't be. So do that. You know, rock on. All right, with that said, I will end with the usual Brad out. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.